you're trying to figure out what, what was that. Well, let me read right here. Luke 8.22 says, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Thus the epic music, right, on that scene. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up, rebuked the wind and raging waters, and the storm subsided. All was calm. Where's your faith? He asked his disciples. And in fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the wind and the water, and they obey him. Very interesting text when you start to look at all the elements, and obviously we're going to do that today, but I think this is great news. I think one of the most incredible aspects of this passage is the reality that Jesus can calm the storms. The storms in our life, whatever may come, Jesus holds the power to calm the storm. And so I think there's a few different questions we're looking at, you know, like, what is the storm? Like, for, for us, what's the storm that you're going through? What is your storm? But in particular, when you look at this, kind of the central moment of, you know, the, the storm calms, and this is where Jesus is speaking towards the faith of His disciples. He's encouraging them. He's He's trying to help them remove doubt, and he does it by asking them a simple question, where's your faith? Where, where is your faith? And I think it's something that we, we should ask and look at often so that we kind of know where we're at, right? If, you, if ever you, you want to go somewhere, you need to know where you're starting, and so where is your faith? Um. Has your faith even begun yet? You know, or is it, is it maybe a question, you're just questioning faith. You're kicking the tires. That's, that's okay. Is it in the far past with some, some dust and cobwebs on it? You know, it hasn't been used in a long time. Is it an I used to? I, you know, I hear that a lot of time. Man, when I was a kid, I used to go to church and and, um, you know, when I'm doing weddings for people, I don't necessarily know or whatever, and they'll, they'll have the conversation, you know, I used to, I grew up going to church, and so I just, I kind of want a Christian wedding because I want to get back engaged with God so that when I have kids, I can take them to church. So, it, and I used to go to church is inherited. Now they're going to pass another, they're going to pass it on to their kids, and 20 years from now, they'll say, well, yeah, I used to go when I was a kid. I think we should keep going, personally. I think that'd be a good pattern. Uh, it makes a difference. Church does make a difference in your life. It matters, and uh, your relationship with Jesus matters. And so, uh, we could move out. We could break that pattern of I used to. I think that'd be healthy. Today, we could start that. Uh, is faith a memory, kind of like we're saying, or is it a current reality? Is it all sunshine? You know, oh man, like it's on fire right now. My faith is burning up. Or, or maybe you're in the place of fear. You're, you're, and it's kind of haunting. Your present state of faith is kind of haunting, if you will. You're, you're here today because you're trying to discover, man, I don't know what side of the fence I'm really falling on here. And I, I'm trying to figure it out. And uh, all of us 
or in different places of our faith. That's what's so incredible about God, is He individualizes all of this. For every one of us, we can grow at our own pace in our, our own unique way, but that makes helping you grow incredibly difficult. I can't just say A plus B equals C, and all of you can just follow that path and you'll be hunky-dory. If I tried to do that, somebody's going to feel off because it's not where you need to be in your growth. So how do we individualize this? How do we figure out how to grow? You need to figure out where you are. Where is your faith? You know, you get lost in a mall. You go to the little kiosk thing and it says you are here, right? But what if you don't know where you are? What if there's no sign saying you are here? I think that's more like our faith. Like, okay, well, where, where is it? Well, interesting, there's been a bunch of high-profile cases recently, and I don't know, they just, it, it sucks me in when it happens, but when somebody gets lost and the world is looking for them, and we see their faces on posters, and, and you hear their stories, and you question, what exactly happened? How do they go about finding them? Well, one of the ways they do it is triangulation, Right? They'll take three different cell towers, and they'll send a ping to their phone number and try to triangulate their location from three different cell towers, because then they can kind of figure out distance-wise, oh, they're right in here somewhere. Well, there is a way to triangulate where is your faith, and that's what's kind of cool, is we can sit and kind of go, okay, well, let's look at three elements that will help us figure out where we are. Where is our faith? And that's why we have like a banner back there that says, you know, we're people leading people in a growing relationship with Jesus by connecting, serving, and sharing. What if we triangulate off of those towers, if you would? The tower of connecting. You say, how am I doing at connecting with God? On a scale of 1 to 10, if I was just to pull out my note sheet and start to, start to evaluate and say, man, where am I at? On a scale of 1 to 10, have I chose to follow Jesus? Okay, that moves me up. 10 being high, 1 being low. You know, am I worshiping Him corporately? You are today. Good job. Am I, you know, uh, connecting with Him on an individual one-on-one -on -one relationship? Am I reading my Bible? A am I praying? All those things help you. Are you interacting or is it one way? Uh, what's the engagement level of your faith in connecting with God? And then you kind of go, if I'm a five, a six will be growth. So it's like, how do you get from five to six? That's what we can help you do. But it's individualized. On a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing at serving God? You know, the other tower, you, you kind of look at, you know, am I, am I serving? Am I, am I volunteering for, for, for God? Am I helping be His hands extended of grace and mercy and love in my community? Am I offering my time and, and investing in, in, in others? Well, we'll talk more about others in a second. But, you know, in, in, am I serving in His name or am I doing it for my own fame? Um, you know, the outward faith element is serving where the connecting really is more of an in, inner thing. It's more of a, I'm connecting with God. And then the third tower is sharing. You know, on a scale of 1 to 10, when praying, how heartfelt is, is my interaction with God? Am I honest? What am I talking about there? Because this kind of came to me when I was like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to share about sharing, right? And I was I was sitting there questioning that, and, 
And it was interesting because I really felt like one of the elements of sharing that we just need to, to grow in is to share how we're really feeling towards God. Like, God, this really sucks right now. Are we that truthful with Him? He knows it sucks. But do we tell Him? God, I'm just really frustrated right now with my life. I'm just really frustrated with this barrier. God, I just really want to thank you because I feel almost guilty how blessed I am. Do you, do you, are you just honest with Him in good and bad? But being honest in prayer, not just rote, not just thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, amen, and that's your only prayer ever. Or, you know, thank you, Lord, for this day, I pray, amen. It's just, you know, a little tiny, just think about, man, what if I just have an honest conversation with God? That's prayer. And watch the power of that, sharing how you really feel with God so that He can share His love, because that's what He really feels about you, is He really loves you. And we got to open up that line of communication. Have you shared that you've chosen to follow Jesus publicly? And maybe you've yet to follow Jesus. I encourage you to do that before the end of today. But have you shared that publicly? What do I mean? Well, on September 28th, during service, we're going to have a water baptismal service. What is that? What means... We're going to give an opportunity for you. We'll be totally prepared for you to come. Or if you're not prepared, we'll be prepared for you to come and uh, be baptized in water, identifying yourself publicly with Christ. Water baptism is basically identifying yourself with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So like when you go underwater, it's a symbol of dying with Jesus and raising up to life like Jesus did. And you're going, I have chose to follow Jesus. And so we're going to celebrate with you open lifestyle, with cheers and party. And I know some of you have checked the baptism box on your connection card and are interested. That's September 28th. In fact, if you turn your connection card over that hopefully you've already been filling out, on the top right you'll see that checkbox again. If you've yet to be baptized in water, check that box because you're missing something in your faith if you've yet to do it. And we celebrated a video just not long ago with some of our students who were baptized in water at the barn, which is today if you have a student. And uh, so uh, we're going to just continue to give opportunities for people to be baptized that have yet to do so. So uh, that's sharing. That's sharing your life in Jesus with others, going public with your faith. It's also sharing your resources, your time, your talents in devotion to God. It's your willingness to carve out time additional time, more than the hour and 15 minutes of a service on a Sunday morning, or maybe today, hour and 20. Anyway, it's more, no, or if you're a volunteer, you know, the, the four-hour window that you're going you're gonna to give on a Sunday morning, whatever it is, it's like, which I encourage you all to volunteer regularly, sign up today, amen, hallelujah. And then you, but it's just like looking at that uh, in all seriousness, it's the least we could do is carve out more than just the hour and 15 minutes just to say thank you to God. There's never a season when we're done serving. God always wants to bless us by blessing others through us. We're all an integral part of what happens. I loved it today. Uh, second time guest was serving today. Oh, it was awesome. It was so fun. I love that. But anyway, thank you, James. Uh, so just looking at those the, the, the heart of service is so huge, and it's, it's more than serving God. It's sharing our time with God. It, it's, it's, it's like small group season is here, and there's, 
four small groups on your connection card today. There may be six by next Sunday. But I just, I, I want to give you an opportunity to get connected in meaningful, significant relationships with others in Jesus. And, and that's part of sharing, is carving out another hour of your week or hour and a half of your week so that you could share life with each other. Like, that's where you really can have this dialogue. Where are you at on a scale of 1 to 10? And help each other go from 5 to 6 or 6 to 7 or 8 to 9 or 9 to 10 and feel like you're just thriving in your relationship with God. I get kind of excited about it. But once we know where your faith is, and talk about more than faith, you can know where your life is. You go through that same on a scale of 1 to 10. How am I doing at connecting with others? So now we're talking life, right? You go from this God to others. How am I doing at connecting with others? Like, do I notice people around me? Am I intentionally getting out of my comfort zone to invite others into this journey of faith with me? How am I doing at serving others? How am I doing at sharing with others? Am I like willfully giving out of my resource and time to, to help someone else? Like let's say it's in the middle of a Seahawks game and you get a flat tire on the side of 410 and you just need some help. Would you call anybody or text them to get some assistance and understand they would have to stand up right in the middle of an intense game? and come and help you. Somebody was pulling a practical joke on someone else. It's a total inside story right there. But anyway, what I want to consider today, this is interesting. I, I, this is not my normal sermon layout style, but I think we have to ask some questions. And I think the most interesting question here to ponder for a while, whose idea was it to cross the lake? Because what we're reading about is this intense storm that is l legitimately dangerous. Anybody see the news story about Lake Roosevelt this summer? There was like a squall that came over Lake Roosevelt, and, and it like they were having this big boat gathering, and all the boats collided, and a bunch of them sank, and nobody was hurt, and trees fell on campers, and it was just an instant storm. Yeah. Okay, anyway, uh, it, was, it was like inside our state this happened. This is exactly what happens to these guys. Just this instant storm came on them. Nobody was expecting it. They thought they were going to die. And so you, you, look, you could go see some sweet YouTubes, by the way, if, if, about the Lake Roosevelt storm. Just go Lake Roosevelt storm, and you'll see a bunch of stories. But because people were freaking out. Not sure language is appropriate on those videos. Just to clarify. Turn the volume off. Okay, so here we go. Uh, but just looking at this reality, whose idea was it to go across the lake? It was Jesus' idea. He's the one that said, let's go across the lake. Now, Jesus had to have known a storm was coming, correct? He's the Son of God. He's fully human, as we'll see in a second, but he's as well fully God. And so Jesus, he's the one who says, let's go across the lake. As I pondered this, I was like, what happens next is Jesus falls asleep, right? Um, Jesus and I have something deeply in common. It's the ability to fall asleep. Sometimes at the most inopportune times. There are times when you shouldn't fall asleep. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming this is one of these, right? Jesus goes out onto the water and, and, and he just falls asleep in the boat. That's where you know he's just fully human, right? He's tired, so he falls asleep. He's not like, I'm God, I never need to sleep for 33 years. Uh, nap time when his parents are like, why doesn't he sleep? Well, he's God, you know. 
Uh, but that's, that's not the case. He took naps. He was a baby. He pooped his diaper, all those things. And so, but I, you know, I have the ability, maybe it's a man thing, I don't know, but I have the ability to fall asleep. I remember in the eighth grade, I had the opportunity to go sing at Expo 86. I just full-on dated myself. That's cool. It's fine with me. I'm comfortable with my age. And, uh, but eighth grade, Expo 86. It was a big deal. I joined the high school choir so I could go sing this solo to thousands of people that would listen to a high school choir at Expo 86. In my mind, I'm like, yeah, I've arrived. I'm going to sing for thousands, you know, so I was pretty excited about it and uh, learned that I could sing. Basically, it was the eighth grade. The band wasn't allowed to go to Expo 86. The choir was, so I joined choir. That's honestly what happened. I may have had a crush on a girl or something. Most likely that happened as well. So I was like trying to get to Expo 86. But here's what happened. We all stayed up hanging out, playing, just goofing off the night before. And uh, we were on our way to my big moment to sing a solo with our choir on the stage at Expo 86. And we're on our way and the band gets off the train. But guess who fell asleep the moment it started moving? Me. Guess who got lost amongst thousands of people from other nations and countries from around the world in Canada somewhere on a train? I woke up and I'm like, uh, guys, um, guys, I'm, in the, I'm an eighth grader. I'm a chubby little eighth grader with probably like big bottle glasses. No, I think I broke those glasses by then because I was embarrassed by them. I don't know. But anyway, I was embarrassed. I was lost. I was confused. I was vulnerable. Can anybody say lawsuit? Well, not back then. But anyway, I'm just going, I was lost in Canada. I had no idea where I was. And luckily, some good Samaritans, I'm sure, helped me get back. But that was not a good moment. Not necessarily my worst, though, per se. Uh, you know, in 1992, when I was driving home from work, uh, after working like a bunch of double shifts back-to-back on a cruise ship downtown Seattle, I uh, was driving back to Muckleteo where I was living, and uh, I remember right about 145th and I-5, it was, it was afternoon, it was hot in the middle of the summer, and I was sleepy, and I was trying to stay awake. I'd worked like two days straight pretty much, right? I hadn't slept much at all except for on some chairs in between shifts. And I'm getting sleepy, and I fall asleep at the wheel in rush hour traffic. And I wake up when I hear, <coughs> and I look in my rearview mirror, and nobody's behind me. And I look in front of me, and there's a lot of cars piling up. And I realized, uh-oh. And then what was really <laughs> scary is when the, the husband jumps out of the car in front of me, coming to, like, rage on me, and his wife gets out and is full-on pregnant. And I'm like, oh, my word. What did I just do? Not my best moment. I think it was like... I remember a 17-car pileup, I think, but it may have only been seven. I couldn't remember in my brain, so I just, number's not important. There were a lot of cars, and I was in big trouble. And I had to get a restraining order from that family because they tried to hunt me down and hurt me. I had to stay in my car, and the police restrained them. So it was a terrifying experience for a young adult. 
I may or may not have fallen asleep on my wedding night in a very inopportune moment, but I won't share that story. You can ask Dana uh, if that's true or not true. When I asked her, "Hun, what's the worst story in my life about when I've fallen asleep? And she's like, you're not going to tell a story about our wedding night, right? I was like, no, not at all. I would never tell that embarrassing of a story. So I'm not going to share anything about that. But probably one of the worst stories about falling asleep, we had twin babies in the hospital, and they were beautiful, and, and um, uh, Dana did most of the work, right, with the whole baby thing. C-section. We were not expecting that. It was crazy. But, you know, visitors all day, and, and then, you know, we're caring for these children, discovering how to be parents, first-time parents, and, and, and I remember, you know, and, and we were at Overlake Hospital. They have kind of like, they don't have fancy stuff to sleep on like they did do at Good Sam now, but like just kind of like a couch area. And I just, you know, thought the kids just went down for a little rest as infant babies. I'll go down for a little rest. And uh, the next morning when I woke up, I, I, I was greeted by my loving wife. And she begins to tell me a story about that night and how... Uh, the children started crying, and their little infant baby. But parents think the little infant cry is so bad; it's not near as bad as when they get older and cry. But anyway, they are, you know, just. And it was so quiet; I probably didn't hear it. Right? Uh, she's like, "Honey, the kids, honey," and I don't move. I'm a good like four feet from her, so she grabs a pillow and throws it at me, and I don't move after being hit in the face with a pillow, honey. The babies, they're now, ah, ah, they're starting to go crazy, and, and, and I don't move. She, like, grabs phones and other things and throws them at me, and I don't wake up. It's a gift. And, uh, and so I'm asleep. And so what does she do? She forgets she has a little button next to her to call a nurse for help. She tries to get up, having a C-section, stitches, gauze, blood, all that stuff that you now are envisioning, and tries to get up to help the children, and is unsuccessful. She gets hurt. Or she hurts herself, and, and uh, uh, the nurse comes in then, and she's crying, and the nurse says, would you just like me to take them to the nursery? And now I'm the reason the babies got taken from the room, right? It's the opposite of the good story in the movie, Taken. It's like now I'm the reason the kids were taken, and I wake up to that, right? It was you! I'm like, what did I do? You wouldn't wake up. I was like, I didn't. I tried. I threw things. There's stuff all around me, you know. And, and I'm just going, oh, no, right? And, and she's like, why would you not wake up? I was like, and I did not help things by saying, well, honey, I was tired. All right? So, let me, I, I connect with Jesus in this story. Like, we're bros here in this one. And uh, all that to say, this is Jesus' idea and he's the one who falls asleep and uh, led them into danger knowing the storm was coming. That's, this is just kind of crazy when you kind of put the story into that perspective. And, and they would experience the terror of thinking they're going to drown. And Jesus is asleep. Like, Jesus! 
He's like, well, I was tired, right? I'm sure that's what he said, just like maybe he knows better than me, but it just shows the depth of his humanity. So here he is, not shocked about the storm, but he gets woken up. The disciples are in a panic, and uh, in truth, this moment's all predestined. And it's really interesting when you begin to study it in Scripture, and God does these little things to confirm. Again, Luke is writing this book, right, to prove that Jesus is the Son of God for certain. He wants you and me to have no doubt that we should put our full faith 100% in Jesus. Where's your faith? Well, it's in Jesus. That's what he wants us to be able to say when we're done with the book of Luke. So he's writing this so that we'll know for certain Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the Son of God, that he's the Messiah. And with that said, hundreds of years earlier, this moment is seen and written about. Listen, Psalm 29, 3 through 4, the voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. Psalm 65, 7, who, still, who stilled the roaring of the seas and roaring of their waves and the turmoil of the nations, speaking of God. Psalm 89, 9, you rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Psalm 104, 6 through 7, you covered it with the deep as with garment, the waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. These are all attributes of God and His authority over the water. The disciples, where is your faith? Well, it should have been, and they knew these passages. They should have trusted God for the waters to be able to be stilled, right? Well, there's more. Psalm 107, 23-32. Others went out in the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, His wondrous deeds in the deep. For He spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and He guided them to their desired heaven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for man. Let them exalt Him in the assembly of the people. Praise Him in the council of their elders. Interesting, isn't it? When you start to put all the pieces of the puzzle together and go, oh, Jesus is trying to show that He's the Son of God to His disciples. For sure, without a doubt. This is just one more fulfilled prophetic insight in Jesus' life that He was walking through and the disciples were a part of this story says they were in great danger, and that's not an overreaction. They truly were in danger as the boat was being swamped. So what are your thoughts? Why do you think they woke Jesus up? I mean, let, I mean we really got to consider the context. Why would they wake Jesus up? Were, 
they obviously, at the end of the passage, didn't know Jesus could calm the waves. I think they were waking him up to save his life. Not expecting him to get up and go, oh, yeah, this? Whew. Right? Like the happy painter just changing the scene with a stroke of a brush. I don't know what made that thought come into my head, but if I had a sweet afro, I would really have made that beautiful. But looking at this moment, they're waking Jesus up saying, hey, Jesus, that's not drool. Your head's in water. Get it up. You're going to drown, right? They're like, this is life is about to end. Help, right? So that's, that's kind of where they, they were saving his life and, and helping with the consideration of, Master, Master, you're going to die. Swim for your life. And it's a great moment when he wakes up, I imagine, again, because we connect so deeply, Jesus and I, in this sleep thing, that he woke up kind of in a daze. You ever do that? It's like the kids come in in the middle of the night, if you have kids, or a dog, I guess, Jaden. Anyway, so, you know, uh, if Walter comes in. But you're, you're in that moment where you get woken up from a deep sleep, and you've got sleep in your eyes, and you're trying to, you don't have your contacts in, and you're just like, um, oh, oh, yeah, mm. Be still. Okay. And you have that uncanny ability. This is another gift. I can go right back to sleep. Right? I think Jesus gets up, calms the wind and the waves. Like seriously rebukes the wind and the waves. I think he goes back to sleep. It doesn't say this. But the disciples are immediately talking about him, not to him. And they're in a boat. Why would they feel comfortable to do that? Who is he who calms the wind and the waves? Because he probably went back to sleep, right? I don't know. I'm just imagining this in my... It's like, where's your faith? Right? I'm thinking that's how it played out. Personally, in my mind, that's how it plays out. And I'm going, this is interesting. Because I don't see in this passage him fully waking up and saying, where is your faith. I don't think that's the God we serve, honestly. And maybe sometimes you're worried about that. Maybe sometimes you've had an opportunity and you let it pass and you're going, I can't be used anymore because God's like, where's your faith? I think it's more like, hey, where's, where's your faith? Let's take another step in your faith so that it gets stronger. I think that's the God we serve. That's the God who calls us to himself, who wants us to follow him. I don't know. I just imagine this laid back down Jesus going to sleep and everything was kind of fuzzy the whole time. And the next morning I'm imagining when they get to the other side and they're like, uh, Jesus, wake up, it's morning. And he's like, oh, how was your sleep? And they're like, we didn't like there was a big storm. Oh, yeah. Was that real? Right? You know, it's, it's that moment of, oh, that, the kids got up? When did, they, when did they come into our bed? I didn't even remember that. You talked to them. I talked to them. You know, it's kind of that. I'm wondering if that's how it played out. Pretty sure that's how it happened. What should blow us away is the same power Jesus has in this story you and I have. Accessible to us if we choose to follow him. 
Matthew 17, 20 says, he replied, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. That's the kind of faith we're able to have in God. Matthew 21, 18 through 22, early in the morning as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry, seeing a fig tree by the road. He went up to it, this is Jesus, speaking of Jesus, found nothing on it except leaves, and he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. When his disciples saw this, they were amazed. How'd the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what has been done to this fig tree, but also you can say to a mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it'll be done. If you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Just a little faith, that's all it takes. Ephesians 1, 15, now Jesus has come, he's died, he's rose, he's ascended into heaven, the disciples are writing, listen to this. Ephesians 1.15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable grace power for us who believe. That power like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet, appointed Him to be the head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him, who fills everything in every way. The water was nothing. He raised his son from the dead. God's like, I can totally do that. I could do the mountain, the fig tree. Watch this, my son. I'm going to raise him from the dead so you know he's the son of God, so you put your full faith in him. Tell the world about it. That's the God we serve. And so Luke's writing about this so that we can put our full faith and trust in Jesus. And that we know he can calm any storm we face in our life. Any storm we're facing. Worship team, you can come up. I love how the whole story begins, though. And this is where I got the title for the message one day, Jesus. Just as one day, Jesus said, let's put out across the water. Isn't that interesting? Like, but it's also the day he calmed the storm. One day. And I think we're all going to face storms in our life. We're all going to face a season where we have to ask, where's my faith? And we're all going to need to put our faith in the one day, Jesus, that one day, He'll wake up and calm the storm in our life. That one day, the turmoil we're facing and the desperation that we're sensing in our current context, He's going to calm it. He's going to bring it to total peace. And we have to keep our faith in the one day and not keep our focus on the storm. It's easier said than done. Way easier said than done. 
to put our faith in Jesus. And I just want to, I want to challenge you. Really honestly look at, where's your faith? Who is this Jesus to you? Are you in, the, like, that's an important question that Luke wanted us to ask when he got to the end of the text. And his disciples are like, why would he include the fact that they asked each other, who is it that can calm the sea and the, you know, the water and the wind? Because he wants us to ask the question, who is Jesus? Because if our answer isn't he's the son of God, then we've yet to really have the opportunity to fully follow him. And God's desire is that we would follow Jesus and live life to the full. There's more to this life than we've yet to experience if we've yet to put our faith in Jesus. But he wants us as well to trust him in the storm. Jesus holds the power to calm your storm. Will you trust him for that? Will you call out to him for that? And I want to leave you with this passage. Psalm 18, 16 through 19. says, He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. God delights in you in the midst of your storm. He doesn't want you to experience the pain and harm that the storm brings, but yet he delights in you no matter where you're at in your faith journey, no matter where you're at in the storm. God's not ticked at you. He just wants to reveal how delighted he is in you. And oftentimes that comes when he ends the storm is when we get it. That he delighted in me, that passage says. And maybe you felt like the storm is his judgment on you or He's causing you pain or this season for a reason. You know what? I want you to know the heart of God today. He delights in you. When you look in the mirror, he delights in you and he wants relationship with you. And he's putting all the tools in place so that you can connect with him, serve him, share life with him. And he's given you, he's put you in a church that's put a bunch of different things on the calendar so that we can help you take the next step in your faith journey. Choose to follow him today. Choose that Jesus is the son of God. Put your faith in him today because your life will never be the same in a very positive way. I want to pray for you. God, man, I guess I could say thank you for the storms. Thank you for those moments that allow us to see that you can rescue us. You're the one day Jesus. That one day you're going to rescue us and reach down and reveal to us just how much you delight in us. You'll rescue us from our enemies. You'll rescue us, as that psalmist wrote there, from our 
own disaster. We've caused it. We've made choices to put ourselves in circumstances. But yet you delight in rescuing us. You delight in showing us your love. Will you come today and reveal yourself? And Lord, may we discover something. May we learn from Jesus in this story. He didn't get up and and, and rebuke demons behind the storm or the devil behind the waves. He just spoke to the waves and he spoke to the wind and they calmed. And I pray today that we would have the courage to pursue you, the courage to say to the wind in our lives, I just ask you to stop in the name of Jesus. Not make it super spiritual in any way, shape, or form, but just trust you that you've truly empowered us who follow Jesus to speak to the storm and that it will be still. So God, whatever the storm is in people's lives today, help them to know it, speak to it, and have the courage to go to the next step, which is living in the peace that you provide. If anybody's yet to give their life to you, Jesus, I pray that right now they would just say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I choose today to follow you as my Savior. And now, God, as they open that door of faith, As they pray that in their heart, as they confess that, may they enter into a season of peace like they've never encountered before. We give you praise for your word and all that it reveals to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you reflect on your response today as the worship team sings?